You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hello, Kyla Lee. How are you doing? I am tired, and I have a big day tomorrow, so I'm going to be tired for a long time, I think. I think so. You're uh, doing a judicial review on a challenge to a piece of legislation in the next couple of weeks. you got lots going on. Mm, not quite. Um, no, no. Tomorrow I'm I've got basically a meeting at 7 a.m. And then I've got a meeting in Parksville starting at 630 p.m. So uh, I'm just going to basically be running all over the uh, the lower portion of British Columbia, southern British Columbia tomorrow. Um, and then uh, starting Monday. I start a seven, eight, eight day long constitutional challenge in BC Supreme Court. Um, it'll be the first superior court challenge in Canada to the mandatory breath testing program. Interesting. Well, yeah. I know you've been wanting to get that on for a long, long time. There's been a lot of hiccups on the, uh, on the other end and with your co-counsel and stuff. I'm glad it's finally getting on. Yes, me too. Um, although... You know, uh, now that it's happening, I feel woefully underprepared, um, but I've got the weekend, so. There you go. What more do you need? A couple days, no interruptions, you know. Yeah. Dream. Dream of, of that, but it's not going to happen. Um, anyway, on top of, like, that big thing that's going on, uh, there was also a pretty big significant case from the BC Supreme Court this week about delay in traffic court. Uh, yes, you started to tell me about this. I'm glad you uh, didn't tell me all about it. So tell me about it, please. Yeah, this well, was this was this was interesting because this is an argument that you wanted to make, but oh, I'm so angry! I was gonna make it. I was prepared to make it. I was in court on two occasions, ready to make it, and I got adjourned, ironically, for lack of court time on both occasions. And then the Crown realized that, you know, the irony of two lack of court time adjournments for my argument about unreasonable delay to my client's traffic ticket matter would mean that I did not get. Um, heard in a reasonable time and and stayed the charge. Mm. But as many people know, there is an 18-month presumptive ceiling for offenses that are prosecuted in provincial court, um, which means that uh, if it takes longer than 18 months for the matter to complete, then a person can argue that their right to be tried in a reasonable time was violated. The problem is that traffic court often is much faster, but also traffic court is often, almost always, much simpler. And um, the processes in traffic court are very different. So I was going to argue that there should be a lower presumptive ceiling than the 18 months in traffic court because of a number of factors that distinguish traffic court from other types of offenses. So the point and is, when the, when the court came out in Jordan with these fixed 
timelines. They came up with a fixed timeline for summary matters, so provincial court. They came up with a fixed timeline for indictable matters, so you know matters that could be in provincial court preceded by indictment or Supreme Court. And no. they didn't talk about traffic court. No, not quite. It's it's no. summary. It's it's um not thirty months for summary and indictable. It's it's provincial versus supreme. Is it? Uh, it's been a while since I looked at it. I, how often do I have a delay argument? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, point is, uh, it takes longer when you're going to uh, to supreme because you're potentially having a preliminary hearing in provincial court, and then you've got a trial in supreme court later on. But they didn't speak to what happens in traffic court. And so your argument was, or your planned argument was, essentially... It should be ahead. lower. But it should be and, lower. And there was a case that went to the Supreme Court of Canada where somebody said, for youth matters, it should be a lower presumptive ceiling because there are you know, bigger issues for prosecuting youth files. And so a lower presumptive ceiling would make sense. And the Supreme Court of Canada rejected that. But I was going to rely on the commentary in that case to essentially make out why traffic court would be distinguishable. Anyway, turns out some other people had the same idea and someone did argue it. But this case, like, I mean, honestly, this should be our ridiculous driver of the week as much as it is our main topic, because it is crazy. Okay, well, tell me about it. Let's go through the history. And I'm sorry to our listeners, but this in order to like under, truly understand this case, you have to understand the history and it's wild. So uh, September 4th, 2020, uh, Miss Sangha, Simanjeet Sangha, uh, gets issued a traffic ticket for using an electronic device. 95 days later, so like a little over three months later, she has a court date already. So fast. That's pretty quick. I've literally never seen a court date that fast in traffic court, but she got one. There you go. Yeah. The uh, she shows up to court. She's retained a lawyer, and the lawyer comes into court and says, "Well, we'd like to adjourn this matter because I'm going to give notice that uh, this matter has not been tried in a reasonable time, and I'm going to bring a delay argument." So coming at the, at the, like the 95 day mark at the 95 day mark, he says, I'm going to argue delay. He's, a, he's, he, he's showing up. He's brand new on it. He's seeking yeah, he's an adjournment for the sake of essentially obtaining counsel. And he intends to argue at that point delay. Apparently. And the okay. judicial justice even commented there's a, <laughs> in, the, in the judgment, it says the JJ commented that she was astonished that there would be a charter argument based on delay. But then, of course, she didn't have any authority to uh, do anything about it. Decided. Yeah. yeah. So she, off you go to the judicial case manager. Also, you're entitled to make your argument if you're making it in good faith and everything. You can make your argument. Go ahead and lose. It's, you know, it's your case to lose. Um, so she tells him. What has to happen? And there's a procedure when you want to bring a charter argument in traffic court. The first thing that you have to do is alert the court to it. Then you have to go to the judicial case manager to fix a date for the application to schedule a court date in front of a provincial court judge. 
You also have to, at least 14 days prior to the date the matter is going to be heard, file a notice under the Constitutional Questions Act indicating that you intend to seek a judicial stay of proceedings, a constitutional remedy. Um, and she confirms, the judicial justice confirms with the lawyer, you're aware that these steps have to be taken. And he's like, yep, I know what to do. Um, and then the judicial justice completes a form that yeah. shows the fixed date appearance. Um, it's not the Constitutional Questions Act notice. It's just a special form that they use in traffic court when somebody's making a charter argument to get the matter moved forward. She gives it to the lawyer. And then the lawyer goes and the form even directs you what to do because it's designed, of course, for the self-reps. Yeah. So he takes the form and goes down, schedules a date, December 17th, 2020, in front of a provincial court judge. So also very fast, like December 8th is traffic court, December 17th, 11 days later is the date it's scheduled to appear in front of a judge. Theoretically, he can't even comply with the notice requirements in that time frame. But it two actually weeks? Was it? 11 days. Yeah. Yeah. And the notice requirement is two weeks. Yeah. But it, it becomes moot because he didn't even try to comply anyway. And oh he didn't even show up to court. <laughs> so this poor woman. He doesn't show, show up to court for the. Doesn't okay. show up court for his constitutional argument so this poor woman miss sanga shows up and she says she gets duty counsel to help her and basically says i thought that this was my lawyer and that he was going to be asking for an adjournment for a 30-minute charter hearing there's been no contact with crown counsel to see if they're available or to get their position on the matter um there's no um like like notice that's been filed so yep. she suggests why don't we schedule a date in like february or march so the court sets a new date of february 24th in front of a judicial case manager and yep. um says you know your lawyer needs to get in touch with the crown so crown uh also confirms on the record that no constitutional questions act notice had been filed yeah. And um uh yeah, the the matter gets adjourned over to February 24th. So Miss Sanga appears again herself on February 24th. Crown Council yeah. appears on February 24th. They go to the judicial case manager office. Um, she has no longer is represented by this lawyer. Uh, she indicates that the document she received uh, was faxed by the JJ for her. She was under the impression that this fulfilled the notice requirements. Of course, it didn't. So Crown Counsel suggested, go to the Crown's office, give us the document that you need to serve us, and then we can figure this out. Gets adjourned again to March 17th, 2021. March 17th, she shows up, duty council, they're in the JCM office again. And uh, Crown still has not received notice. There's some discussion about whether or not uh, she actually gave um, the correct form of the notice and it's determined that she didn't understand what she was supposed to file. So it gets adjourned now to April 19th. 
April 19th, she shows up at the case manager office. Um, no duty counsel, just on her own. She says she filed the notice. It's emailed. It's bounced back. Then May 12th, no new appearance. She, um, they appear before a provincial court judge. Finally, um, the, the charter application gets set for June 24th. She shows up June 24th, self-represented. The judge is like ticked off because the crown has not secured a trial date for the actual ticket. So this is one of the flaws and I want to pause here because this is one of the flaws as you well know with the traffic court process is once you get a date for your charter argument, um, you don't, uh, you don't deal with your matter at the, at the the date um, in both dealing with the charter issue and that that's your trial date. Your charter matter gets heard and your trial date is who knows when. So the judge can't even really properly decide because if there's no trial date, you don't know the anticipated end date of the matter. Yeah. But the judge goes, you know what? We'll just use today's date as the date for the purposes of determining whether there's been delay. There's a question about whether there's transcripts. Ultimately, Miss Sanga has to take the stand. There's an affidavit from Crown about what had happened and the, the procedural background. And um, ultimately, the uh, matter doesn't finish because of lack of court time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so then it goes to June 28, 2021. We're now over six months from the first court date. Um, so now we're nine months, a little bit, nine months from the time that it was, the yeah. ticket was. Issued. Yeah. And then uh, a continuation date gets set for September 27th, 2021. And this Things is the continuation date for the charter argument. For the charter argument, which is now a year from the date the ticket was issued. So September 27th rolls around and guess who shows up again, Paul? She's there on her own. No, the lawyer's back. Oh, the lawyer's back. Okay. Yeah. Is this the same lawyer who argued that the at the <laughs> BC Supreme Court? Why, yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I found the case here as we're talking. Yeah. So lawyer's back. He starts making arguments and he says, Yeah, I think the presumptive ceiling should be between between 12 and 18 months. Um now this is He's, this is the lawyer who wanted to do the argument in the three months. In the nine, he argues case. now, and now, now he argues that it should be between twelve and eighteen. Yeah, twelve and eighteen of delay that he caused. Because honestly, was he wrong about the year when he started it? I mean, I just, maybe when he showed up the first time, he was off by a year. It does because not, it's hard to understand what this lawyer was thinking. Yeah. So the judge in BC Supreme Court, at paragraph 17, after saying he argued that the presumptive ceiling should be between 12 and 18 months, says how that could be consistent with an application for delay brought at 95 days was not explained. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, the, and then at the end of the charter hearing, the judge is like, okay, well, we were using today's date as an end date, but... Like, how long is this trial expected to take? Because that's also relevant, right? Like, yeah, if yeah, the trial's going to take six days versus if the trial's going to take 
you know, 16 minutes, like many traffic court trials do. And the lawyer says, I think it's a day. At a previous hearing, Ms. Senga had said an hour. Crown counsel had suggested two hours. So the judge is like, I think that's a generous estimate to a day. Um, well, for a cell phone ticket, two hours. For a cell phone ticket, two hours is a generous estimate. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, even, even with you, two hours. Most of the time, the police evidence is about 12 minutes. Yeah. What the, the longest cell phone ticket trial I've run had two court dates. It was like two hours, but it had two police witnesses, extensive examination of voluntariness board and defense evidence. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, The court, uh, so the court set some dates, um, uh, a notional trial date, and then the judge reserves judgment, but gives her decision the same day. And she actually finds that the presumptive ceiling should be lower. She she concludes that the overall delay was 17 months and three days, which is bonkers to me because the only reason there was any delay was that there was a meritless charter argument to begin with. It brought it to the start. What a great thing to do, bring a meritless charter argument for delay right at the beginning and then cause ridiculous delay after that, getting that charter argument on. Can you imagine the chaos? Oh my gosh! Like I, I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked if, about if that were if that were permissible, we would have to do it in every case. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about these proposed changes to traffic court and how lawyers aren't the problem. But then you look at something like this, and you're like, "What the fuck?" Like maybe yeah. lawyers are the problem. Well, they're not in our office, but yeah. no, we're not running. Maybe we don't think of these, these creative. <laughs> Creative. Okay, the case that I wanted to argue the presumptive ceiling should be lower was still 17 months of delay. Yeah. Anyway. All right, fair enough. So keep going. So the judge says um, that uh, um, the Jordan presumptive ceiling does not apply to violation tickets. Um, no. And very broadly, her reasons were the tickets attract less negative stigma, have less serious punishment, and are generally less complicated than criminal charges. Some violations of the Motor Vehicle Act could have penal consequences, but most traffic tickets are are relatively short. And she said it's not a normative period that 18 months should be the amount of time that it takes a traffic ticket to conclude. Um, And then she looks at two cases that were decided before Jordan, where um, the courts found delays of um, 12 months um, or so were unreasonable. And she concludes 14 months is the reasonable ceiling. Um, And then she decides to calculate the delay in the case. And she says, first, Calculate the overall delay. Second, deduct any defense delay. And third, consider whether the Crown has established exceptional circumstances. And when determining whether there was defense delay, um, this is a a quote from a previous decision of hers that she relied on. Uh, In this case, I have to examine whether Mr. Thiessen's defense acted in a deliberate and calculated manner to delay the trial. I must consider whether the defense was not ready to proceed when the Crown and the court were ready. 
I am required to assess whether the defense conduct amounted to inaction, omissions, or indifference designed to cause trial delay. I am not permitted to second-guess steps taken by the defense in responding to the charges. However, I must still <coughs> assess whether any defense delay was caused by legitimate procedural requirements or, on the other hand, by marked defense inefficiency, complacency, or indifference toward any growing delay. And then concludes that, that she was not able to deduct any defense delay not the time frame where Miss Sanga was unrepresented and didn't get a lawyer and didn't file her notice and didn't get any legal advice. Not the period where the meritless application. And like, fair enough. Like when Miss Sanga was self-represented, the judge makes this point. Fair enough. When she was self-represented, it was a confusing process and she struggled to understand it, which bogged the matter down. That's still defense's problem when you're being told, get a lawyer or talk to duty counsel, get some legal advice, and you don't. Yeah. I, I'm I'm listening to this and I'm sorry I'm not with the I'm not with the provincial court judge. No. Uh, not at all. Yeah. So she stays it. Anyway, I'm sure she stays it. Okay. She stays it. She judicially stays well. it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not the end of the story, obviously, because it gets appealed. Of course, it gets appealed. And I'm sure everybody listening to these ridiculous facts can uh, probably guess what the outcome of the appeal was. Yeah. Well, it was overturned, but <laughs> let's get into that. Yeah, so it was overturned on appeal. So first, with respect to whether the judge erred in establishing a unique ceiling for traffic tickets, uh, the court, the BC Supreme Court's like, yeah, that was an error. And yeah, I don't see why a provincial court judge is making that decision. Well, the provincial court uh, has to make that no, decision. No, not not. I don't think it's necessary to to make a presumptive ceiling it's fine for the supreme court of canada or even a court of appeal to make a presumptive ceiling i don't it's think a, that it's up to a provincial court judge to decide what a presumptive ceiling is for traffic court matters it is in fact up to the provincial court judge to decide that and this is why and this is actually encapsulated in the judgment of paragraph 45 so the judge looks at older cases where provincial court judges express that there is delay arising out of a centralized booking system, the violation ticket center. Um, there was evidence in those cases of the overall timelines on specific facts. Um, there was uh, no evidence, though, in this case of any current problem generally regarding delay in traffic court matters. Um, and in fact, the facts of the case, as the court says, demonstrate the opposite. She got a trial within 95 days. Shockingly uh, quick. And uh, the judge uh, did not demonstrate um, it, on the record that the Jordan framework needed to be revisited with respect to traffic violations. She was entitled to do it and consider her awareness of the processes in her jurisdiction but there was just no evidence that traffic court disputants in BC were not being accommodated or that stakeholders weren't taking Jordan seriously or that disputants were worse off since Jordan 
than they were before. And so the court basically says the provincial court judge was responding to a problem that didn't exist. And I don't see a problem in provincial court getting matters to court. I I just think that they're getting there for the most part relatively quickly. If they're getting, if they're approaching the Jordan ceiling, then go ahead and and make your notice, but not after 93 days. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be traffic tickets that are outside the 18 month ceiling and you know, those ones you can file your Jordan application and they'll probably be stayed. But like how many hundreds of traffic court matters do we handle a month? And most of them are set within a year. Trial date within six months, which is completely fair and reasonable, you know, on, on outside a year. um, But average six to nine months, it's completely reasonable. I was looking through our upcoming July matters and looking at, at the dates and some of them ticket in January and hearing date in July. Yeah. Ticket in March, hearing date nope. in July. No complaint about that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, for me, it's too soon. Yeah. <laughs> also, <laughs> like, like a little bit more time so the police officer can't remember anything about my client. Maybe my yeah. client can, can you know, establish that they haven't got another ticket sense and is are a good person and has a job. And... Yeah. I need enough time for the officer to be transferred, please. <laughs> no, my client goes to Ukraine to fight for the uh, fight for Ukraine. Yeah. Might get some sympathy there from the police officer. Um. Okay. So the court also said that the two reasons that the ju- the provincial court judge gave for justifying the lower ceiling, the lesser stigma and lesser consequences, weren't actually necessarily true. Um, there were certain circumstances where there could be serious consequences because, of course, under the Offense Act, you can get up to six months in jail. Um, and it also, like, the way that she reasoned it that you know the ones that are serious are usually prosecuted by way of a long form information like you know like the 144 is causing death type cases yeah um in those circumstances those aren't in traffic court though so. they're not they're not in traffic court but it actually creates a disparity because you have the same offense being prosecuted in in the same level of court but having two different presumptive ceilings depending on how the charge is laid um which is you know unlike where you have an option to go to supreme court and that increases the length but but it's a different court it's a different level of court with different procedures and as you pointed out the potential for a prelim so that doesn't justify it and as far as um like the the severity of them some Traffic tickets are very complex. The court says at paragraph 50, which David Eby is why lawyers should still be involved at all aspects of traffic court. He says, well, I agree that this is generally true. Motor Vehicle Act offenses vary widely from relatively minor to more serious and from relatively straightforward to more complicated. Crown Council referred to reported Motor Vehicle Act decisions commenced by violation ticket where council was involved. There was at least a two-day trial and judgment was reserved. So as discussed in Jordan, 
While complexity may be an exceptional reason for the Crown to argue a delay above the presumptive ceiling was not reasonable, there was no evidentiary foundation to support that all Motor Vehicle Act offenses should be able to be completed within 14 months. So, no presumptive ceiling allowed under 18 months. Ah. Yeah. And then... My, uh, I'll tell you my view, but you keep going. I'll tell yeah, you my view. I want to hear your view. About the presumption, presumptive ceiling in traffic court? Yes. But whether or not... See, from my perspective, these things have less of an impact on an individual. And so your anxiety over the period of time that you're waiting trial is much smaller. Very few people are sitting there losing many nights of sleep over the outcome of their trial awaiting their opportunity to, to demonstrate their innocence. There are occasions that there are people who are like that, but for the most part, people get a traffic ticket. They're like, you know what? I don't think this is right. They fight it and, you know, they're not sitting there filled with anxiety. And it's very different in a criminal case where you have to put your whole life on hold. And in traffic court, you don't put your whole life on hold. You know, that would be a very rare occasion. So if anything, from my perspective, um, you know, anything shortening it beyond the more so from the Jordan timeline to anything less makes no sense to me. Um, They're not that uh, serious for people. Um, The implications for an individual is not so serious. And so from my perspective, I see no reason why it should be a very short timeline. Anyway. Okay. Well. I don't know that I agree, but that's okay. Now, the second question, of course, is were there exceptional circumstances that would justify a stay under the 14-month ceiling? And mm-hmm. Ms. Senga's lawyer had argued there were exceptional circumstances because of the failures and inefficiencies of the system They gave her a date in 95 days. Yeah. <laughs> um. That's not an exceptional circumstance because that there's nothing exceptional about about if anything, it's exceptionally short period of time to get a date. And the court is basically like this is not this is not a a legitimate argument because first of all, Ms. Senga would have to show that she took meaningful steps that demonstrated a sustained effort to expedite the proceedings. And the only steps she took were ones that delayed it. Yeah. And secondly, she'd have to show that the case took markedly longer than it reasonably should have, which is true. It did take markedly longer. Yeah, but that's all steps, all because of steps her lawyer made. And yeah. Essentially. So there was that. I mean, this, this, this type of decision makes us all look bad, right? Especially yeah. when, you know, all of these times over the years, you know, I've been looking at delay and I'm always concerned about it. And I'm actually, you know, like legitimately trying to get things on because I, I think about my clients and I think, okay, this is what the court has said. And this is what people have experienced. And I, you know, I've only had a couple of cases where I argued delay and I lost in both cases. I managed to win the cases themselves, the substantial arguments on it, but I lost in both cases for, well, no, maybe I didn't lose it. No, I, well, I guess I won in one, but the, uh, but the point was that I was thinking about it the whole time, you know, like I legitimately have tried to get things on. And in this case, it's like they're legitimately not trying to deal with the merits of the case. 
I mean, yeah. And how do you like get off the record and then get back on the record? Like, well, he's back on the record for the appeal too. Yeah, it's it's freaking weird. Yeah, but there you go. Um, and that's our that's like our entire topic this week. Well, um, again, as I say, kind of makes a mockery of uh, of lawyers, but I guess you know from. On the one hand, every argument can be made, and you could argue that you know a traffic court ticket should get on in under two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, you should have it in under thirty days. You file the thing in dispute thirty days after that. Mm-hmm. One could argue that, and there may be justice systems in the world where that happens. And just because we become accustomed to six months or nine months or something like that, or a year, doesn't mean that it's right. It's neither right or wrong, but thinking makes it so. Um, so I suppose from that perspective, the argument could be made. Uh, I just, from my perspective, I don't think that, um, that I could argue that, um, my client is suffering that, that particular pain that they talk about in some of the other, uh, in, in some of the pre Jordan cases, um, right. that people experience when they're waiting for their trial date. Yeah. And that I mean, used to be one of the things that we used to we used to lay out carefully in affidavits. You know, there have how been it, cases. There have been, there have been traffic court cases I've had where like my clients have been um affected by the time it took. Um, you know, they've had insurance um claims that were related to the disposition of their matter in traffic court, or they had employment consequences because they got the ticket well on the job and a resolution to the traffic court matter, their employment was hanging in the jeopardy. Um, so, you know, there is, there are circumstances that I've had where the, the case resolving expeditiously was important to the client, but that's not the majority of cases. Um, I, I was thinking about that too. Basically, employment and insurance consequences are the two things that could cause you to want to get it on quickly. Yeah. Now, I know that I said this could be our ridiculous driver of the week, but Paul, we do have the ridiculous driver of the week. Ridiculous driver of the week. Oh, good. This is a man you found him out of Washington. Oh, this one. Okay. <laughs> Everyone should know that I'm sending all week long. I'm sending Kyla ridiculous drivers of the week. Anytime I see a news story, that this, this is guy, the uh, yeah. This guy's great. He 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 claims road rage uh, led him to intentionally ram his vehicle into an ambulance because he thought. The ambulance was going too slowly. Um, the other day I was driving behind a cyclist on a side street, pulling up onto fourth here in Vancouver. And it's a tight street, you know, these narrow streets and kits. And somebody went around me in a BMW SUV, um, narrowly missed the cyclist and then blew through the stop sign uh, at the pedestrian intersection. The pedestrian countdown still had two seconds left blew through the stop sign around me. And I thought, oh my gosh, this could be the ridiculous driver of the week. But I guess this person didn't run into me for driving too slowly. Yeah. Anyway, they found uh, beer bottles and evidence of cannabis use. Oh yeah, he was charged with impaired too, wasn't he? 
Yeah, yeah. He was charged with impaired driving. They figure he was both drinking and smoking while driving. But I got to say, I don't I don't believe that theory. And I'll tell you why. If you're smoking pot, you're not worried about how slow someone's driving. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking that, too, just as you were telling me that. But, you know, the other thing is. um, Alcohol and and cannabis together are, are, in my experience, a rare combination. Most people don't like to mix it. Um, And if they do, maybe it makes you sober. I don't know. Never tested the theory myself. Well, there's only one way to find out. Okay, I'll get on that tonight. (laughs) All right. Well, that's our podcast. Thanks, Paul, for joining me in this traffic court discussion. Thanks, Kyla. Shout out to all the traffic officers out there. We, we, I have to tell you, it's part of our greatest pleasure of doing our job is dealing with all the traffic officers out there. We generally just enjoy dealing with you all. Yes. Um, so if you need to get in touch with us about a driving law related matter, you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.